You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. Um, so let's read this together. Let's get, um, let's get to it. Let's read this together. The love, yeah, there we go. Le- read this together. Ready? Go. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. We've been looking at each one of those words, protects, trusts, hopes, and perseveres. But you know, there's one word that we really haven't talked about a lot, the always part. And several times over this month, as we have been talking through this series, I've had people say, you know, I'm, I, I don't think I do this always. I realize now I'm not doing this always. And so I want to talk about that word just for a minute before we get to the one we're going to focus on today, perseveres. Not every translation of the Bible uses the word always. Your version might actually use the word all, as in love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. But to me, there's a pretty big difference in emphasis between love always protects and love bears all things. When I say love always protects or love always hopes, it sort of feels like the responsibility leans toward me or the weight leans toward me as the one who is loving. It is for me to develop and keep and hold an always mindset. But when we say love hopes all things or love love bears all things, endures all things, now it feels like the emphasis is on the kind of things we hope for or have to bear with all of them, all of them. And I may be overthinking it, but somehow it makes a difference to me whether it's me inside developing this always posture or if the emphasis is on the things I hope in, protect, care for, bear with, all of them. So do you hear the difference in that? And it's interesting that translations do it that differently. So which is it? Is it always or all? Is it me or the things? And the answer is, Yes. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. The answer is yes. That's why this is a hard word to translate. It's me always leaning in, always working to surrender my own attitude to God's love, and it's also me learning to see everything the way God sees it. Learning to see everything through a redemptive lens so that I really begin to understand that God can look at anything and see. You know, it's real, like we had, a, we had a dog named Lucy when, when Steve and I first met, first met. And Lucy was scraggly, hair moving in every different direction. His, every one of his teeth moved in a different direction. No two teeth went in the same direction. And he, was, and he had an under, a she, it was a she. She had an underbite. And uh, the first time Steve visited me in my home, uh, I, I held up Lucy and I said, isn't she the most beautiful thing in the world? And Steve thought to himself, well, then there's hope for me. <laughs> I can love this woman because she's looking at me through the same eyes she's seeing that dog with. 
That's what we're after. We're trying to see the world through eyes of love. And as we develop this always mindset. So that's what we've been thinking about this month. Which, what does it mean to be an always family? It's about rewiring ourselves so that rather, dis- so that instead of distancing as our default, we're learning to lean into our relationships. And we've discovered over and over again that any one of Paul's descriptive words for love in 1 Corinthians 13 requires intentional habits inspired by, empowered by, sustained by the Holy Spirit. So we've asked ourselves, how do we protect without doing things to harm others? And how do we trust when trust has been damaged? How do we stay focused on hope and potential when reality would rather tell a different story? And today, we're going to talk about how we hang in for the long haul, way past good sense, knowing that the transformation in our own lives, as well as the transformation in the subjects of our love, is a journey, not a moment. So all this is about how we live inside our relationships, but ultimately, this is about living inside community, right? This is about developing the kind of family Jesus called his people to form with each other, and it's the kind of family Paul wanted the Corinthian church to become. So today I'm really hoping that you will take everything we've been talking about this month and you will transfer it from your own family and your own extraneous relationships into the body of Christ, into this room where we all sit right now. So um, I want to do two things today. I want to look at that whole paragraph on love in 1 Corinthians so we can see how perseverance fits into the big picture of love. And then I want to listen to what Jesus says about why we persevere, really how to persevere. So let's start by reading the whole paragraph together. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning with verse 4. Let's do this together. Ready? Go. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So Paul's writing this bit. Clearly, he is drawing on his best understanding of his character of Jesus. He didn't actually walk uh, or, or know Jesus when Jesus was alive before the resurrection, but he must have heard that this is how the Messiah lived his life, and surely this is what he was writing about. And it's powerful to think, isn't it, that this kind of love, walking among humans, all this patience, all this kindness, all this love was actually walking among humans at one time? How could anybody have resisted it? or doubted that this was God among us. And if God is love, then this passage is literally a definition of the character of Christ. So to internalize that, let's read this paragraph again, substituting the name Jesus for every reference to love. Let's read together, ready, go. Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy, Jesus does not boast, Jesus is not proud. Jesus does not dishonor others, Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's who we worship. This is our God, and he's everything we want our God to be. We serve an always God who is perfect in love and who aims all that love toward us. 
Now, as comforting as encouraging as that is, it gets convicting when we take the next step and substitute our own names for the word Jesus or love. It doesn't have quite the same ring to it. Let's try it. This time when we read through, there's gonna be a blank in that place where you uh, substitute. See it up there? And, and um, I want you to put your name in whenever you see a blank in these statements. We're gonna read it aloud. You just say your name. It's gonna take a little bit of concentration so you're not hearing the person next to you and, uh, and so you're not listening to me. So turn me down just a little bit, Savannah, so I don't uh, mess people up because I don't want y'all all saying how great I am. I want you saying how great you are. Okay, ready? You're going to put your name in the blank. Ready? Go. Carolyn is patient. Carolyn is kind. Carolyn does not envy. Carolyn does not boast. Carolyn is not proud. Carolyn does not dishonor others, is not self-seeking. Carolyn is not easily angered. Carolyn keeps no record of wrongs. Carolyn does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Carolyn always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. <laughs> it makes me laugh just to say that out loud. I don't know how that feels for you, but the whole time I'm thinking, liar, you are a liar. Because this is not me. I want to be all that, but I know myself. I'm not there. I don't even know how to get there. So much would have to be dismantled. So much would have to be unlearned. Talk about deconstruction. This is where my deconstruction would begin. I don't know how to practice Jesus-like patience, Jesus-like honor, Jesus-like selfishness, trust, hope, perseverance, always. No way. It can't. I can't. It's not possible. Not on my strength. I found this great little section from Ray Pritchard's, uh, who, who preached on this. He, he says this, he says, we will never talk ourselves into loving like this, and the sooner we admit that fact, the better off we'll be. This isn't some kind of rah-rah competition where we try to prove our love by our enthusiasm. Sooner or later, Pritchard says, we have to get down to the bottom of things and admit the truth. Oh God, I hate my husband. I hate my wife. I can't stand my children. My parents are driving me nuts. I hate the people I work with and I don't like the folks at church. I don't love my neighbors and I can barely stand to see my own family. Oh God, help me. I don't love anybody right now. I'm an angry person. I need some amens in the room. Filled with bad thoughts and completely lacking in any kind of love. And if you don't help me, I will never love anyone because I know I cannot change the way I am. Lord God, please help me. Change me. Let your love flow through me. If you want me to love others, you're going to have to do it through me because I cannot do it myself. That's pretty raw, isn't it? That kind of praying feels too honest to be right. Can we actually say that? I mean, can we say that we struggle to love like Jesus? Well, of course we do, but can we say it? You'd think that a prayer like that would break the heart of God, but I actually think it's exactly the kind of prayer he's hungry to hear because he's the kind, it's the kind of prayer he wants to answer. Because the fact is, he already knows your heart. He already knows what you have thought about the people in your life. <laughs> and, and it's already way too aware of how we really are. So this kind of prayer actually puts us on the same page with God who wants to see us love like Jesus. 
But God, there's no way I can love like this. I'm not wired that way. For me to change like that, it would take a miracle and a millennium. And of course, you're probably right about that. But that's exactly why today's word, persevere, is a pretty important one in the always family equation. Love always perseveres, which is to say that love always keeps working to be better. Love always keeps pressing to be better. It's, it's, it's not about, the, the key is, is learning how to love, uh, sorry, which is to say the key to learning to love like Jesus is not having it so much as being willing to not give up when we fail at it. Patience and perseverance are a challenge embedded in this passage, so we'll remember to stay after it when it's hard. Always persevere, Paul says, stay in it. And what I notice about this whole section on love in 1 Corinthians 13, is that it begins with patience and it leads to perseverance. Isn't that interesting? Sort of the bookends on either side. Love begins with patience and leads to perseverance. Love hangs in. And Jesus defines how this plays out in a little parable in Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 5. I want you to take that prayer, that raw prayer we just prayed, and I want you to bring it with you to Luke chapter 11. Turn with me if you don't ha haven't already. Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 5. The story comes just after Jesus has taught his disciples a pattern of prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer. So while Matthew followed up that prayer, the Lord's Prayer, with a teaching on forgiveness, Luke follows up with a teaching on perseverance. This is as if he says, this thing I'm teaching you to pray, I totally get you cannot do this. You will need to learn how to ask for this so this prayer begins to live itself out in you through the Holy Spirit. And then he says, uh, verse 5, Luke eleven five. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight, and you say, friend, leave, lead me, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine is on a journey. He's come to me, and I have no food to offer him. I want you to circle that word, food. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, I tell you, Jesus says, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For, so for, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. So keep in mind that Jesus has just shown his followers a pattern of prayer, the Lord's Prayer in the first verses of Luke 11. And now in this story, Jesus is teaching them how to keep coming back to the place of prayer. In the story, Jesus tells the, the friend is asking his neighbor for food, and when the neighbor doesn't want to get up and give it, the friend just keeps knocking. Bam, bam, bam. No apology, no politeness, no concern for the guy's lack of sleep, no concern for what's going on inside that house. He's just banging, just keeps on knocking. Listen, I got someone who's come to my house who needs food. I don't have it to give him. I know you've got some food in there. You're going to have to get up. You're the guy who's going to give me what I need so I can feed the people who have come to my door. If you lay that parable on top of Luke, uh, excuse me, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, there it is. 
I can't love. I don't have it inside myself natural, naturally. Here I am inside my life, inside my situation, and I have got nothing to give the crazy people you have put in my life, Jesus. If I'm going to love like you love, Jesus, you're going to have to get up, come to the door of my heart, open it, and give me what I need. That's a bold prayer. And right here, Jesus tells us it's okay to pray that way. In fact, he uses a word, verse 8. I've talked about it before. I love this. Shameless audacity. The Greek is something between shameless and persistence. It's someone who is desperate enough for his goal not to care what anybody else thinks. In the margin of my Bible down here, I've written persistence to the point of annoyance. No shame, modesty, or reverence. Shameless audacity. Perseverance. It's not casually asking God to save us from an inconvenience. It's not politely saying what we think God wants to hear. This is the kind of praying we do when when we know it's not going to happen unless God shows up. I am going to bang on his door because I know I got nothing in my own fridge, which most of the time is actually really true. And, And I have got to go someplace else to get what I need in order to love the person who has come to my house. So here's this friend, which is you, which is me, banging on that door at midnight, way too late in the game. And he just keeps at it. And you know what? I love that friend. You know, I happen to be a fan of shameless audacity, of having the grit to stay in it, to believe it's never too late to hang in for as long as it takes. That's a big piece right here. If you're going to start praying for God to give you a heart that loves, that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always hangs in, then you're going to have to dig a deeper well in prayer than what you've been digging. Someone somewhere said it's it's, it's, um, a lot of us live our lives like a person who wants to dig a well, but we go about it all wrong. We dig a few feet here and a couple of feet there until the whole field is pocked by all these shallow little holes but none of them go deep enough to get water and the moral of the story is if you want to reach water you have to stay in one place long enough to dig deep I think that's exactly what Jesus is teaching us here he's saying something about the state of too many prayer lives especially when it comes to hard relationships when it comes to community in general He's saying that if you're not getting the answer you need, if your prayers don't get the results you're after, maybe you haven't dug the well deep enough. Stay in it. Persist to the point of annoyance. Stop being polite in your prayers. Persevere. Cry out for things that simply will not happen if God doesn't show up. Stay in it. Keep on asking. Keep coming back and keep coming back long past good sense, beating a path to God's door. Because if you keep beating that path, if you keep digging, if you keep going deeper and deeper into this passionate request for an always love, to be part of an always family, you will eventually strike that deep well of love that is the heart of God. Margaret Thurkelson talks about years of getting up early every morning, crying out for God to to reveal to her his heart of love. 
And for years, she cried out and cried out and cried out. And one day, she felt it. She broke through, and she felt the love of God. That's what we're after. That next section, I've already read it, uh, where he says, uh, I say to you, um, ask and it will be given to you. This is verse 9. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is Jesus teaching his followers what Paul taught the Corinthians. Always persevere. Stay after it. Don't give up. What if our waiting is more important than the thing we're actually waiting for? I mean, the whole next section, and we don't have time to get to it today because it's this whole thing, is actually the end result is how much more will God, our Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I mean, what if our waiting is really about getting the heart of God? Persevering may actually be more important than the thing we're waiting for because it builds in us the character of Christ, the heart of God. In Paul's encouragement to first century Christians dealing with pressures of faith, he writes that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. Perseverance, in Paul's use of it, is about handling pressure with grace. It's that solid biblical word that gives us the sense of a floor beneath our feet. It's a prescription for allowing tough seasons and tough relationships to build character. So I hear you, Holy Spirit. Hang in there. Wait. Don't force things. The storm will pass. The dust will settle. The wind will blow. The light will shine. The, the batteries will recharge. Persevere. And use the waiting to let Jesus build into us what we do not have on our own. I've been reading a great book by um, Angela Duckworth. She's a psychologist who works mostly with kids, and her book is called Grit, G-R-I-T. If you're a TED Talk listener, she's got a couple of talks on it, a, a short one that's just six minutes and then a long interview that's about an hour. You should, you should listen. Grit, her study, is, is the study of what makes people great. So Duckworth studied great people, rare people. She studied candidates at West Point and participants in the National Spelling Bee, people who made it to the top of their mountain. And after all her study, Duckworth is convinced that it's not talent or skill or even getting the right breaks that make a person great, though of course sometimes a break can help. She's convinced that the single greatest factor playing into our success as human beings is our ability to hang in there, to persevere. She calls it being gritty, to know ourselves as people who persevere, to hang on long past good sense. And there's an equation to it that Duckworth teaches. She says, perseverance plus passion equals grit. Perseverance plus passion equals grit. I need to be able to hang in there, but I need something that I'm passionate enough about to hang in for, and that will make me gritty. It's not talent. It's what Jesus said. It's shameless audacity, grit, a passion for staying in it for the sake of the one you want to love until Jesus answers. So true grit is a holy posture. Somewhere along the way, grit, uh, grit, Duckworth connected with the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. I think he actually called her after listening to her TED Talk because he wanted to tell her 
that the one thing they teach their players on the Seattle Seahawks, the one thing they teach their players is grit. They even have a, 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 a chant on that team, always protect the team, no whining, no complaining, no excuses. I love that. Always protect the team. No whining, no complaining, no excuses. Doesn't that sound just like Paul? And she says this, the bottom line in a culture of grit is this. If you want to be grittier, find a gritty culture and join it. If you're a leader and you want the people in your organization to be grittier, create a gritty culture. That's exactly why this series we've been in is called The Always Family, not The Always Christian. Because what we're after is not a lot of disconnected people who have it going on individually but don't have much heart for each other. What we're after here at Mosaic is community, holy, sweet communion. That's our word for the whole year. That's what we're after. We believe it's essential we're after a culture that always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere, that hangs on long past good sense, not just because love is patient, but because we are patient. So maybe 1 Corinthians 13, which was written to the first century church, not to somebody getting married, <laughs> is best read as a creed for the community. For this teaching to play all the way out, it isn't just Jesus or just me. Love is us. We are patient. We are kind. So I want you to stand. And as if this were a creed for our community for this year, I want you to read this together. And I want you to read it with the heart and the soul of a creed. Are you ready? Go. Our Mosaic family is patient. Our Mosaic family is kind. We do not envy. We do not boast. We are not proud. Our Mosaic family does not dishonor others. We are not self-seeking. We are not easily angered. We keep no record of wrongs. Our Mosaic family does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. We always protect, always trust, always hope, always persevere. No whining, no complaining, no excuses. Amen? That's a vision worthy of our most passionate prayers. You can be seated. And maybe we aren't all there yet. But this is what God knows us to be. We are not always kind, but we're trying. Oh, and absolutely sometimes we are envious. I am the queen of being jealous of everybody else's church. But we're, sta we're satisfied, but we're not satisfied to stay there. Yes, we remember wrongs, but we can stay in it until we get better at grace. We'll keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, because we want to always, always believe the best, hope for more, trust completely, and hang in there with each other long past good sense. Because far more than being great at it, the kingdom values people who keep shooting for it. 
So take a minute right now and look around at the people around you. This is the, this is the first service people. Look around at the people, all the people. Look at everybody. Look at everybody. Look at each other. Are you willing to always protect each other? To always trust each other? To always hope the best for each other? Are you willing to always persevere because you know in your heart of hearts right now you're thinking, I can't do it always. But are you willing to beat the path to God's door over and over and over and bang on his door and say to him, I don't have it in myself to love the people I'm in church with. But you, Jesus, have the food. You have it. I'm thinking about our Maxwell House friends who are watching right now. I don't have it in myself to love everybody at Maxwell House. But you, Jesus, you have the food. You have it within yourself, Jesus. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to keep on asking shamelessly, banging on your door until you give it because without you I've got nothing. You remember that prayer from Ray Pritchard? The one I read a few minutes ago? Here's how it ends. I want you to get your communion elements out before I read it. If you didn't get communion elements and you need them, just raise your hand and someone will bring you them. Yeah, the way you do the, ele the elements, the little COVID cups is what I call them, is uh, just... Um, Pull the little clear piece off first so you can get the wafer. And then you can pull the other piece back and get the juice. But don't do anything with it yet. I just want you to hold your elements. And I want you to go into the place of prayer. And we're going to take a couple of minutes to do, I don't know, read this piece from Ray Pritchard, how it ends. And then I'm going to, just kind of walk you into a meditation on the love passage in 1 Corinthians 13 and let you consider what Jesus is and where you need to confess, and where you need to pray and bang on the door. God, help me. I don't love anybody right now. I'm an angry person filled with bad thoughts and I'm completely lacking in any kind of love. And if you don't help me, I will never love anyone because I know I cannot change the way I am. Lord God, please help me. Change me. Let your love flow through me. If you want me to love others, you're going to have to do it through me because I cannot do it myself. So Lord, I just need to confess the places where I've not been patient. I need to confess the places where I've not been kind. And I just invite you just to let me walk you through and whatever comes up, just take it as, take it as a prompting from the Holy Spirit and just begin to pray confessionally into that. God, I, I need to confess the places where I am jealous. And for me, it is. All the other people who have all the big churches, 
That's hard for me, Lord, and I don't know why I can't let go of it. I confess it. It doesn't give me grace to love the body of Christ the way I should, to rejoice with my friends the way I should. Just as much, Lord, I need to confess the places where I am boastful, where I'm proud, where I'm saying to the world, look at me and what I've done. Maybe even using the good things in my life to cover for all that I know that's bad. Lord, here's a deep one. We need to confess the place where we have dishonored others. Most of the time in our hearts, not out loud. We confess, Lord, that we have been self-seeking. We have profited from other people's pain or we have profited and not even known about another person's pain in the process. God, we confess the places where we're too easily angered and where we have held on to offense. God, we pray deep prayers of confession over the spirit of offense that lives in us. Lord, I don't know where we have uh, delighted in evil. I also don't know where I've rejoiced in the truth. I just need your help to even understand where I am delighting in evil and ignoring truth. And now, God, we are banging on the door. There is no way on my strength I will be able to always trust, always hope, always protect, always persevere. So I need you to get up. Come and open the door of our hearts. Because we want to be in this community and always family. Let your love flow, th- flow through us, Lord. If you want us to love others, you're going to have to do it because I can't do it myself. I do thank you, Jesus, that we have this incredible gift of Jesus, this incredible model and example, and I'm thankful, God, for the Holy Spirit thankful that your word promises that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.